ways in which we have been involved in spreading that message is through the ministry of Carl and Cindy Kasky. Um, Carl has been serving as the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in uh, uh, rural Lock Sheldrake, New York. He's been there uh, since 1985. He went there to plant that church, and as perhaps he'll tell you, he has planted a congregation in that building a number of times. It is a very poor area, uh, economically uh, uh, area. It is um, a diverse, rural, constantly changing area as people come in and out. And one of the ways that you could definitely describe Carl Kasky is that he is a faithful uh, servant of Jesus Christ. He has for uh, this many years, been faithfully there uh, preaching the gospel of uh, Christ to uh, a a congregation constantly uh, changing and uh, one uh, church smaller than ours. In fact, uh, Carl might be a bit nervous because this is the largest congregation he's addressed in a while uh, in the ministry that he has. But we're really pleased to be able to participate with Carl in the ministry that he has. Uh, His wife, Cindy, is here as well, and she is a... uh, a faithful partner to him. And Carl's going to uh, speak to us a little bit about the work that he does, and then he's going to open God's word to us. It's a privilege for us to welcome Carl Kasky this morning. A few more than 80 people that I'm used to preaching to on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it is so good to be with you. As uh, as as Joel shared, uh, Cindy is able to be with me this week uh, as this is her weekend off as she's a registered nurse in one of the hospitals up there and has to work every other weekend. The Apostle Paul summarized my feelings quite well in Philippians chapter 1 for you folks. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul penned those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he was addressing a church that had financially and and prayer supported him, the church at Philippi. And Cindy and I really thank you so much for all that you've done for us as a family in our years of ministry with the Rural Home Missionary Association and church planning and church strengthening. God has located us and planted us in a community, in an entire county that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And regardless of which direction you go from the church that we're planning, there's another community that does not have a strong gospel preaching church. So God has put us right where He wants us to be. We even have people coming to our church whose Baptist church in our area has closed. And we have uh, two other Baptist churches that are struggling just for existence with 10 to 15 people going. Our outreach into these communities in Solomon County, New York, could not happen without the faithful prayer and financial supports of your church. This morning I'd like to share with you three things. I want to start out with a a brief DVD that uh, will just summarize some of the aspects of our ministry. Then I want to share with you, for those of you that might not know, what does a church planning missionary do? And what are some of the 
exciting things that we've seen happen. And then third, I want to share a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's in your bulletin, the outline. But uh, we want to start out by sharing the multimedia presentation, which is about eight minutes long. If we got lights. I'm Carl Kasky, and our family moved to the Catskill Mountains in New York State in 1985 to work with a struggling church in Sullivan County. My wife Cindy was not able to join me because, as a registered nurse, she had to work this weekend. Sullivan County is located approximately 100 miles west of New York City and 100 miles east of Binghamton. We are with the RHMA, whose mission is to plant and strengthen churches in rural America. We came to Calvary Baptist Church after the church had been open and closed for many years and was struggling to stay open with a handful of people. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. We would like to share with you the progress that God has brought about in our church planning ministry in the Catskill Mountains. One area that has required a lot of time and work is the church building itself. The building was approximately 125 years old when we arrived and was in major need of repair. Over the years, electrical lines have been replaced, new drywall and windows were hung, and eventually an addition was added. It has been a huge blessing to have more space for ministry. We also focused on ministries that needed to be developed in order to reach and disciple people for Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the progress that we have seen in the various ministries we have started. One of the main avenues I've used over the years is evangelistic home Bible studies. Most people in our area have no religious affiliation and were not raised going to church. These folks seem to feel less threatened having a Bible study in their home. I have had many opportunities to share the gospel through these home Bible studies. Cindy also has a ladies' discipleship Bible study. We have numerous ministries focused on men in the church. Our men's retreat in February and then a camp out in the fall are ways of developing and nurturing men in their spiritual growth. Michael is a teenager who made a profession of faith at one of the men's retreats. Another outreach is our sportsman's dinners. This is an evangelistic dinner that requires a huge amount of work for the men in the church. A venison dinner is served, and a Christian sportsman shares his testimony and hunting tips. Lots of of taxidermy displays are there. This has been a great tool in reaching out to people who wouldn't come to church. This is something we could never do ourselves, but have many people who donate venison, prepare the meal, and oversee publicity. We had to turn away 50 people this past year, so we are actively looking for a larger facility to host this outreach. Another ministry focus is children and youth ministries. Vacation Bible School has always been a great outreach. Several years ago, several churches in the Lancaster County area including Calvary Monument Bible Church and Grace Baptist Church of Lancaster, have sent up a team to assist us with DVBS and children's ministries. In the more recent years, our church people have been organizing and teaching VBS and taking responsibility for it. Sue has developed a puppet ministry with some teens in the church and is teaching Bible lessons and songs with sign language associated with them.
Awana has also been a good outreach, and we thank God for our faithful leaders. We do feel like we are in a battle for influence in teens' lives and have had various activities to plant the seeds of the gospel in their lives. The Word of Life Super Bowl is coming up in November and is an all-night event that the kids have a great time at. Again, we couldn't do this without the youth leaders volunteering their time. Buildings and ministries are great, but our biggest concern is to see change and growth and progress in people's lives. Chris became a Christian following a Billy Graham crusade on TV. For several years, Wendy, his wife, would not come to church and had no interest in spiritual things. But approximately two years ago, she became critically ill and many people were praying for her. She made a profession of faith at the hospital and is now an Awana leader and is growing spiritually. Chris serves as a teen Sunday school teacher and as a deacon and periodically even preaches. He has recently begun to train for ministry by taking online courses. Alan came to know Christ following a very serious car accident. God has transformed his life in a miraculous way. His testimony when he was baptized was absolutely moving. Not only did God allow me to the opportunity to lead Alan to the Lord, but also his son and his wife, David and Carrie. God has brought about a steady growth in the lives of Johnny and Sarah. I had the privilege of leading Johnny to the Lord many years back, and it has been a true joy to see him grow in his relationship with Christ. Johnny led Sarah, his wife, to the Lord several years back, and Johnny now serves as a substitute teen Sunday school teacher, as a youth leader, as a man who works very hard at our sportsmen's dinners, and as a trustee. At this point, our son Joshua is the only one of our children who plans to live in our immediate area. Joshua has become our Awana game director and is a youth leader in the church. He recently became engaged to Amy, and they are planning on getting married in July of 2012. Bao and Lisa have proved to be a real asset in ministry. They both serve as Awana leaders, and Lau serves as a deacon. John and Kathy have become a true blessing to our church. When John first started coming to church, he would try to slip out the back door before I greeted him. But God really got a hold of John's life, and now John is an adult Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a deacon, and a very active worker in our sportsmen's dinners. In June of this year, Lenny became a Christian following his going down to North Carolina to a biker's convention. While down there, he came in contact with a Baptist pastor who was also a biker who led him to Christ. We had witnessed to Lenny over 20 years ago when he was coming to youth group. Lenny is like a sponge towards spiritual things. He appears to be growing by leaps and bounds in his relationship with God. Lenny's wife Charlene just trusted Christ two weeks ago following a two-week evangelistic Bible study. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. We thank God for your partnership in the gospel. We praise God for all that He has done for us and through us in Sullivan County. Isaiah 26, verse 12 says, All that we have accomplished, you, that is God, have done for us. As a family, we greatly appreciate the prayers and financial support that we have received over the years in this church planning ministry. As we continue to serve Christ, we would continue to desire your continued support of our ministry.
I know that uh, some folks don't know what a church planting missionary does, so I'd like to just take a few moments to just briefly reflect upon uh, six different areas that that missionary church planters uh, fulfill, these key areas. The first, of course, is visitation. I'll go into any home where the Lord will allow me in, though there's a lot of homes in Sullivan County that they won't even talk to at the door. They just say, I'm not interested. They won't even answer the door. The second area that uh, where I spend much of my time in is in sermon preparation and, and, and Bible lessons. I preach every Sunday and Wednesday, and I continue to, to hold evangelistic Bible studies. I just had the opportunity this past uh, week, this upcoming week, I'm going to be starting an evangelistic Bible study with a man that um, he's probably in his 30s. And I asked him, I said, so did, do you even have a Bible? And he says, no, I don't. So we're getting him a Bible, and I'm going to take him through the gospel. So pray uh, specifically for a man named Jason this upcoming Thursday. Cindy also uh, teaches. She uh, teaches our children's church uh, on, a, on a rotating basis, uh, children's Sunday school, ladies' Bible study. She's a very busy lady. The third thing where um, much of our ministry is involved in is is simply in ministries. We've got all kinds of ministries uh, for children, for adults, for ladies, for for men. I continue to oversee the sportsmen's dinners, which is a very uh, very uh, great ministry in our area. I serve as our WANA commander, and I chair the deacons and trustees meetings, all those kind of things. And then the fourth area is counseling. I'm uh, presently counseling two couples that are cohabiting, but they're going to make things right as they get married to one another in, the, in, this, uh, in this coming July. And then the uh, fifth area is administration. We don't have a, a secretary. You're looking at the secretary. And so uh, I put together all the bulletins, the PowerPoint presentations, and all those kind of things. And uh, some of the more time-consuming administrative ability, uh, responsibilities I have, keeping records on everyone that works with children and uh, teens in the church, as of 2007, our church's insurance company demands that uh, we have a child abuse prevention policy and procedures that we follow. And so I have to keep all the records of that, and, which might not sound like much, but when you get 30, 40 people and you've got to get references and everything, you got to keep everything up to date on that. But, uh, so a lot of administration in that area. And also, in the, as I said, with the sportsman's dinner, we've got our seventh sportsman's dinner coming up. And unfortunately, we're not able to find a larger facility, so we've act, we turned away 30 to 40 people last year, and uh, we're probably going to end up having to turn away people again this year. The sixth area where much of our time has been uh, involved in is building renovations, which we have rerun every electric line, every plumbing line. We have gutted the inside of the church, installed insulation, new windows, new doors, and all those kind of things. But that's pretty well done. We're almost, uh, we have the church where we want it to be in the area of its buildings improvements. I'd like to also share some significant changes and, and uh, improvements we've seen in the church over these past couple of years. The first major change is in the number of people that we've seen come to know Christ as their personal Savior. I was able to count 16 adults that are presently in our church that either Cindy or I have led to Christ. So roughly about a third to a fourth of our church, we, have, we are like the spiritual parents to these, uh, these people. The, the second major change we've seen over the years is the startup of, of all kinds of ministries. We start up Awana clubs, Vacation Bible School, Children's Church, youth meetings, ladies and men's Bible studies, sportsmen's dinners, a spiritual retreat for men in February, and a, a camp out in September. 
One lady in our church began a puppet ministry where she goes around into liberal mainstream denominations to share the gospel. And she's involved, uh, she's involved five, uh, five of the teenage, uh, teenagers in our church, young girls, that uh, participate in this puppet ministry. Wayne and Kathy Levitt had uh, come to our church. They oversee a correspondence uh, ministry with Source of Light. And several of the ladies are involved in a Christian uh, crisis pregnancy center ministries up in Sullivan County. We have two of them in the area. And then the third major change is in the area of missions. We've gone from where we have never supported, the church was not supporting any missionaries at all, to where now we are able to support uh, three missionaries part-time each month, or with a small amount each month. And then the fourth major change is the church's facility. It's, uh, we have it right about where we need it to be now, where we can function well. The fifth major change is in the area of discipleship, which has always been a priority. One of the things that we really are in need of is, is spiritually qualified leaders, which uh, for the first time we had three deacons, which uh, we never had in, in the years that we've been there. And the one deacon is uh, being relocated back to his hometown to take on a family farm, so we're back to two deacons again. So, uh, But we'll, uh, we'll rebound from that. Now, the sixth major change is in the area of commitment. When we first came to the church, there was about six committed people. And now we praise God that on most Sundays we average 70 to 80. So the commitment level it isn't as good as what we'd like to see it, but it is definitely making strides. And you folks have played a major role in the ministry in Sullivan County that the Lord has given to us. And we are extremely thankful for all that you have done for us. I'd like to share the remaining of our time together reflecting upon the Word of God. For the past six years, we've been using sportsmen's dinners as a means of reaching unbelievers with the gospel of Christ. We're scheduled to hold our seventh sportsman's dinner, and that's coming up on Saturday, May 5th at the Lock Sheldrake Fire Hall. We've had numerous experts in, in, uh, in to share their testimonies at these dinners and to speak on the areas relating to hunting white-tailed deer. Charles Alsheimer, who uh, maybe some of you that are hunters are aware of, of who he is, but he was the speaker of last year's dinner. He's not only an avid hunter, but he's also a strong uh, Christian. And he spent much of his life studying and understanding the white-tailed deer. Charles is recognized as the number three man in America as far as his knowledge of the white-tailed deer. If a person's going to excel in being a white-tailed deer hunter, they would do well to listen to Charles Alsheimer as he is the best of the best. As a missionary pastor, I've sought to modify my ministry to follow the best of the best missionary that I believe has ever lived on this earth. I'd like to share with you this morning a man who I believe was the best missionary that has ever lived and has ever walked upon the face of this earth. There have been a lot of great evangelists like Dr. Billy Graham and Dr. James Kennedy and Dr. Louis Palau and the old-timers. There was Charles Finney and D.L. Moody and William Carey and Hudson Taylor and David Livingston. And all these men were truly great missionaries and evangelists. But this morning, I'd like to share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first couple verses, I'd like to share with you the man that I believe was the best missionary and evangelist that ever walked the face of this earth. When we think of missions, this man's name should immediately pop into our mind. His name is the Apostle Paul. 
Well, what can we as Christians do if we are going to follow the best of the best in the area of evangelism and missions? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 reveals for us six things that we must do if we are going to follow in the footsteps of the greatest missionary that ever lived. Number one, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must reach out and we must take the initiative in witnessing to others. Please notice with me the phrase in verse 1 and in verse 3. Paul is speaking, he says, when I came to you. In verse 3 it says, I came to you. Paul went to the believers in the city of Corinth. He didn't wait for them to come to him. Paul reached out as he took the initiative. He went on their turf. didn't wait for them to come on his turf. Listen to uh, several verses from Acts chapter 18, which describes Paul's actions when he came into the city of Corinth. He said, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla. Paul went to see them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus. Paul did not sit back and wait for unbelievers to come to him. He took the initiative in witnessing. As a church, we have taken the initiative in reaching out to the hunters in our area through the sportsmen's dinners, through Awana clubs, through daily vacation Bible school. The process is never complete. It's a continuation as we reach out to the unsaved that are around us. And the process must never stop. We continue to share the gospel. Secondly, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit's empowerment rather than upon our own abilities and our own eloquence in witnessing. And notice 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 4. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. This was touched upon in the adult Sunday school class, that we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to save people. The Apostle Paul relied upon the Holy Spirit to empower his witness. Now keep in mind who the Apostle Paul was. He was a brilliant man. Paul was the kind of man that could talk to kings and queens about the gospel. On several occasions in the book of Acts, Paul reasoned with philosophers in Athens. And he spoke with kings and queens about Jesus. Paul's vocabulary would probably have been greater than your vocabulary and mind combined. Paul was an extremely gifted man. Paul could have wowed people with his intelligence. He could have dazzled people with his eloquence and with his wisdom. Eastern Bible Dictionary has this to say about the intelligence and the educational background of Paul that he would have received growing up. It says, and I quote, Tarsus was the seat of a famous university, higher in reputation than the universities of Athens and Alexandria, the only other ones that then existed. Here Saul was born, and here from he spent his youth doubtless enjoying the best education that his native city could afford. His preliminary education having been completed, Saul was sent when about 13 years of age 
probably to the great Jewish school of learning at Jerusalem as a student of the law. Here he became a pupil of the celebrated Rabbi Gamaliel, and here he spent many years in elaborate study of the scriptures and of the many questions concerning them with which the rabbis exercised themselves. During these years of diligent study, he lived in all good conscience, unstained by the vices of that great city. End of quote. The Apostle Paul would have probably had a Ph.D. in the Scriptures. He was a brilliant man. But in spite of his intelligence, in spite of his eloquence, he didn't rely upon his wisdom and upon his abilities to share the gospel. He relied upon the Spirit of God to work in people's lives. Now, this does not mean that Paul was not adequately prepared as he witnessed to other people. The Bible speaks of Paul reasoning with people from the Scriptures. In Acts 17, verse 2, it says, As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Acts 17, 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Acts 18.4 says every Sabbath he reasoned in the Scriptures, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 18.19, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Relying upon the Holy Spirit does not mean that we sit back and we don't study how to present the gospel more adequately to unbelievers. But when the bottom line is drawn, it's not our abilities It's not our eloquence, it's not our wisdom, it's not our intelligence that's going to bring people to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God that will work inside people's lives. As we witness to others, we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to work rather than upon our own abilities. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Eloquence doesn't save people. We can't argue people into the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God must work. Superior wisdom doesn't save people. It's the Holy Spirit at work inside people's lives. The third thing, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must resolve to keep the message of the cross central in our conversations with those who aren't saved. Even as we sang this morning, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Please notice with me verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul kept the message of the cross central in his conversation with unbelievers. People aren't going to be saved because we talk with them about their homes and about the weather and about their jobs. It's only as we keep the message of the cross central that people will be saved. As Christians, we need to focus our conversation with the lost, and we need to keep the the cross central. Keeping the cross central is not a main thing. It is the main thing. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Number four, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we have to refuse to allow our feelings of inadequacy and fear to prevent us from witnessing to others. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, When I came to you, referring to the Corinthians, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Bible scholars tell us that there's two different meanings behind this verse. The first, it centers around Paul's feelings of inadequacy. 
even though the Apostle Paul was a brilliant man, even though he had tremendous eloquence and oratory skills, he felt inadequate and fearful when he was sharing the gospel. Keep in mind some of the people that Paul witnessed to. He witnessed to philosophers. It tells us in Acts 17, verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Talking to philosophers about Christ had to have been intimidating even for the Apostle Paul. But Paul debated with these philosophers. On other occasions, Paul actually spoke with the high-ranking Jews of his day. He spoke on several occasions with actual kings and dignitaries. Paul would have had to have felt inadequate at times, yet in spite of his feelings of inadequacy, he continued to share the gospel. He did not allow his feelings to keep him from witnessing to other people. Let's face it, friends, we live in a very feeling-oriented society. Many Christians don't witness because they don't feel adequate. We have to refuse to allow our feelings to dictate whether or not we share the gospel with other people. There's simply too much at stake in this one. The eternal destinies of people are in the balance. Number five, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must regard our witnessing to others as a serious matter. 1 Corinthians 2.3 again says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. The second meaning behind this verse centers on the attitude that Paul had toward witnessing to others. Paul trembled over the seriousness of getting the gospel out the way God wanted it to be presented. I could almost see Paul praying before he witnessed as his prayer would have gone something like this. Lord, help me to know what to say. Don't allow my words to detract from people coming to know Christ. Paul took telling other people about the gospel very seriously. When I'm with the men of our church, I at times joke around with them just like I'm one of the boys. But when I come to preach the Word of God, when I go into a home to share the gospel, I take it very, very seriously because I realize what's at stake. I realize that eternity is at stake. When Paul came and he talked to people, he trembled with fear because he knew the message was serious. He knew that people needed to be saved in order to have a relationship with God. And if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we have to regard our witnessing to other people as a serious thing. And then number six, if we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must root people's faith in God's power rather than in man's wisdom. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul did not want people to root their faith in man's wisdom. He wanted their faith to be firmly embedded in God's power. When a person's faith is rooted in man's wisdom, it's on very shaky ground. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, 
strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Ephesians 4 verses 12 to 15 says that God wants the body of Christ to be built up and to not be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there with winds of doctrine. If we're going to be effective in witnessing to others, we must root people's faith in God's power and not in man's wisdom. The application to the, from these verses is very basic. Each one of us as Christians needs to follow the best of the best. And that's the Apostle Paul. Paul was the best of the best in telling other people about Christ. What made him so effective? Well, number one, he reached out and took the initiative in witnessing to others. Number two, he relied upon the Holy Spirit's empowerment rather than upon his own abilities and eloquence. He resolved to keep the message of the cross central. He refused to allow his feelings of inadequacy and fear to prevent him from witnessing. He regarded his witnessing as a very serious matter, and he rooted people's faith in God's power rather than in man's wisdom. These six things made Paul the best of the best evangelist and missionary that ever lived. We have to follow in his steps. Before us lies a brand new week. As we will go out, we will influence people's lives toward Jesus Christ as we follow Paul's example. Let's close with prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us your word. Thank you, Father, that you've chosen to use us as instruments to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your continued goodness upon our lives and pray that we would faithfully share the good news of the gospel with those that are around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.